Good morning. So good to see you today. Welcome to Carney Efree. My name is Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here at this wonderful church. Welcome to everyone watching online at CarneyEfree.com. We are in the Minor Prophets. Today's prophet that we're looking at is Habakkuk. I'd love for you to turn there with me right now. You can find it using the table of contents, or if you go over to the book of Matthew in the New Testament, just turn back from there, about 20 pages, you'll run into Habakkuk. We're kind of turning the corner toward the last several minor prophets. There's 12 of them, and this is the eighth one that we have studied together. Um, Just a side note, they're called minor prophets. Someone gave them that designation. That's not necessarily a biblical designation. Um, designation, so to speak. Uh, They're just called minor because they're shorter. It's not that their messages are less important. Their messages are equally as important as any other messages in the Bible, and they're equally as important as the major prophets. The major prophets are designated as such because Jeremiah and Isaiah and Daniel are longer. That's all it is, just a, a matter of length. So Uh, As we've seen in our study in the Minor Prophets, there's just some incredible gems, some great nuggets in these Minor Prophets for application to our lives and certainly to understanding the history and the story of the people of God in the Old Testament. And that's uh, no less true here this morning in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk is is really a beautiful little three-chapter prophecy. And I encourage you to study it yourself, to watch the Bible Project video on Habakkuk, to, to dive into it yourself though, this afternoon, even more than I'll be able to this morning, and just mine its depths. It, 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 like it closes out with the most glorious psalm that we'll get to at the end. Beautiful, beautiful song, incredible poem, and, uh, and there's a lot of uh, great, great stuff in Habakkuk that I hope to be able to draw out a little bit this morning. Let me start by asking this question. Uh, What what do you do? Rhetorical question. What do you do when it feels like God is silent? When it feels like you've been praying and praying and you're not hearing anything on the other end? Or what do you do when you see grave injustice, terrible unrighteousness, in the world, particularly in your world, immediately affecting you, hurting you, and it feels like nothing's happening as you pray. Or or maybe even that passage we just read out of Psalm 37, it says, trust in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And you say, "I, I have trusted in the Lord and I've prayed and prayed for the desires of my heart it doesn't seem like God is giving me. It doesn't feel like God is coming through on the desires that are deep within my heart. What, what do you do with that? I've noticed over the years in counseling people and meeting with people for pastoral care that oftentimes people will fall off one cliff, one side, or another cliff, the other side. And on one side is like this denial that I hear people regularly say, yeah, it's terrible what I'm going through, but it's not as bad as what so-and-so is going through. Or um, I know God is loving and strong and he's powerful, but he just doesn't really seem to answer my prayers, so I'm I'm gonna kind of quit praying. Or, uh, well, God's in control, so 
And that can lead someone towards something called just denial. I deny that the pain is real. And just kind of bury the pain. And another way that I've noticed how many people respond, which can be even more dangerous, is despair. And you have the experience of, of great pain or unrighteousness, injustice that is happening in your family or somewhere where you have an area of influence. Your world is crumbling down. And you react to it with prayer and you don't see God coming through immediately the other way that you expected him to. And the response is despair. And for some folks, it turns into this, God, you didn't come through, so I'm gonna try out Buddhism. Or maybe I'm just an atheist now. Or maybe I'll just try out hedonism, like pleasure-seeking. I see that one a lot. God didn't come through, so I'm just gonna try out pleasure-seeking for a while here. See how, I, how that does for me. And I'll kind of follow the old adage, eat, drink, and be merry, because then you die. And people will fall into that despair. How about you? How do you respond when you are suffering and you don't feel like prayer is coming through? You're not sure how to pray. How do you respond? We're going to look at a passage here in the book of Habakkuk. We're going to jump around Habakkuk's story a bit. We don't have a single verse, but we're going to look at a number of different verses that share his story, which I believe provide us with a tremendous third way to respond to those experiences that every one of us have gone through. Like, if you haven't gone through them, you will. Happy Sunday. Okay? <laughs> like, they come to all of us. And how we respond to them will determine whether we fall into denial or despair or a third way that Habakkuk paves for us, which is called lament. The biblical way of responding to this is lament. Habakkuk is ministering around 600 BC. He's a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah. They ministered in the same place and the same time. Jeremiah wrote the book. Good, Bible scholars. All right, Jeremiah. Good. He also wrote the book, Lamentations, I heard someone say. Lamentations. So they both are lamenting. Habakkuk is lamenting, and Jeremiah likewise is lamenting. As he writes his book, Jeremiah, it's mostly laments. And then also he goes on to write this book, short book called Lamentations. These are the final days of the Assyrian Empire that we talked about last week, which Nahum prophesied would be reduced to stubble. That is now happening. And Habakkuk is, wis is witnessing that. And the people of Judah are probably starting to rejoice over that to some degree. But they see that a new superpower is rising. And as they look out on the horizon, yes, Assyria is coming to nothing, but a bigger and badder empire is rising to the fore, and it's called Babylon. And Babylon, Babylon is going to come for what remains of the people of Israel in the nation of Judah. You see a map up on the screen of how this went down. This area in the light blue there, all of that in the Middle East and over into what is now called uh, South Asia, all of that and considerably further east of there into Persia where Iran would be and then even over to Afghanistan, the, those areas, all of those areas become Babylon. And then Babylon comes in and the northern kingdom 
has already been conquered by Assyria. Babylon's going to conquer Assyria, and it's about to conquer what remains of the people of Israel, which is the southern kingdom of Judah. Babylon will come in and destroy the southern kingdom of Judah, and Habakkuk starts to wrestle with God over this fact. And he's wrestling with God over the sinfulness of Judah, his own people, but then he also wrestles with God over the fact that he's going to use a more wicked nation called Babylon to bring judgment to his people in Judah. And he says, yes, I know that we've been idolatrous and we've acted in injustice, but you're gonna bring in another people who's even worse than us, who acts with more injustice and more idolatry than we do. And he's going to respond to all of that in three chapters with this one word, lament. Lament is this. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Would you say that out loud with me? Let's join, let's say this together. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Raise your hand if you've ever actively practiced the biblical discipline of lament. Please be honest. Okay, small number of us. Okay, great, thank you. Okay, it's a, it's a prayer in pain that eventually, as you do it, slowly but surely, over the course of time, leads us to greater trust in God. And you can explain lament through, I think, just three words that will provide basically the outline for today's message. The first word is cry. You cry out. The second word is ask. And the third word is trust. Cry, ask, and trust. The acronym is CAT. CAT, okay. You can remember this way. Cats make me cry. Not because I don't love them, okay? I'm sure those furry friends are wonderful, but they make me cry, like literally I'm allergic to them, okay? Okay, cats make me cry. Hopefully that'll help you remember this basic acronym for lament. It's a cry out to God, it's asking God, and then it's trusting in God in the end. It begins with this honest communication. When you cry out to God, you are honestly communicating to God about what is troubling to you. You don't need to sugarcoat this. I want you to watch how candid the prophet Habakkuk is in these first four verses. Habakkuk 1, verse 1. The prophecy that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. And then he gives this complaint. Maybe you see this headline from the NIV or the NASB, the ESV, whatever you're reading. Mine says Habakkuk's complaint. That's not part of the Bible, but it's telling us what it's about to come. And what he's going to do over the next couple chapters is complain several times and then wait for God's answer. Here's his first cry to God, his first complaint. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. And justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Do you ever feel that way? Do you pray that way? <laughs> My guess is probably not. I'm not sure that I have the guts to pray that way. 
but he is giving his very honest communication to God about what is troubling to him. And friends, this is really a standard part of prayer that at least I've found most modern American Christians are not willing to touch with a 10-foot pole. But it's a standard part of prayer in the Bible. Over one-third of the Psalms, which is the prayer book of our Bible, over one-third of the Psalms are laments. The book of Habakkuk is a lament. Lamentations are all laments. I'm not sure exactly why we don't practice this discipline of lament within our prayer. Perhaps we think that maybe God can't handle it. (laughs) Perhaps we think that maybe it would be disrespectful to God if we prayed this way. Please notice those words that I just uh, read. He says, verse 2, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Uh, Verse 3, Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? And then he says, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. This is a holy man of God praying that way. And again, most of us would find that kind of disrespectful to pray that way. But what he's doing is is saying, God, nothing seems right here. And I'm crying out honestly to you. Habakkuk is uh, frustrated for at least two reasons. The first reason you'll see in verse 4, as I noted already, he said, uh, justice is perverted and the law is paralyzed. He's speaking about Judah. In the nation of Judah at this time, the law of Moses is paralyzed as people are not following it. He's very frustrated by by the fact that the people of Judah have descended into idolatry and injustice. There's been a famine of application of the word of God, such that again, if you read Habakkuk very carefully, you'll see the people of Judah are engaging in economic injustice. They're engaging in slave labor. There's lousy leadership across the, the nation. And there's a famine of justice in the land of Judah. And so he cries out to God through these two very long prayers. And God answers Habakkuk by telling him, in essence, in chapter 2, Judah will reap what she sows. She's been a violent nation. A more violent nation is coming on her. Same message as Obadiah. Judah will reap what she sows. And Habakkuk hears that, and then he hears that God is going to do this through another foreign nation, which is certainly not unheard of in the people of Israel. They anticipated that God would sometimes bring about justice through other nations, but he's shocked to hear from God that the other nation that would bring about justice is Babylon the Great, to which... Habakkuk responds like, what? Probably just like that. Okay, that's how Habakkuk responds. No way, you're not gonna bring Babylon in to bring justice over us. Like I know we've been a bunch of terrible sinners, but compared to them, we're a bunch of saints. That's how he thinks about Babylon. It's like, yes, I know that we've acted like New Orleans, But Babylon, they act like Las Vegas. Okay, so he's doing this comparison thing that yeah, we may be really bad, but they are much worse. How could you possibly judge us 
in light of their wickedness. He says this in verses 12 and 13 of chapter one. Lord, you, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong de- wrongdoing. He's imploring God on the basis of his character. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? I've circled that in my Bible. Why is it, God, that you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? He's saying, okay, God, I accept that there's going to be divine punishment, but you're gonna use the nation of Babylon as ugly as they are, as nasty as they have been? Now, to be sure, this is not God condoning what Babylon will do. He's using another nation as an instrument of justice And I believe God does use world leaders at times to bring about natural consequences for our sins, using others as instruments of justice without condoning their actions. Habakkuk's complaint is not like this whiny, grumbling kind of complaint. No, he's crying out to God with honest communication about what is troubling him on the basis of the character of God. He's asking God why, and then he's looking to God for a response. So think of it this way, like just as a wise parent will invite their kids to ask difficult questions and will be unthreatened by their kids' difficult questions, because a wise parent wants their kids to feel safe asking those hard questions of them as opposed to going and asking other people. So also God in his wisdom invites his kids to come to him with our difficult questions, even our complaints. He wants our honesty that he's big enough to handle it. He wants us to remove that proverbial mask. Like the simple truth is, many of us wear a mask so much with other people that we can't help but put on a mask even with God. And what he would want is that we would remove that and he'd see what he already sees. We'd let him see what he already sees. We would let us see, let ourselves see what he sees. Remove the mask and be honest with God because he's big enough to handle it. Now, we don't stop there. We cry out to God with our honest concerns. And then from there, we ask God. We ask him to come to our aid according to his will. We request that God would come to our aid according to his will. We come before him with various prayers and petitions. Moving on to chapter 2, verse 1. You see the way Habakkuk asks, and then he listens. I will stand at my watch. Imagine a watchtower, and he's looking over, looking for the word of God. I will stand at my watch, and I station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me, and what answer I am to give to his complaint. Friends, this is the pattern. It's ask, and then listen. 
ask and then listen. It's a two-way communication, a two-way relationship with God. God does not invite us to a relationship with him in which we only ask and then we move on. So instead, what Habakkuk does is he asks and then he listens to God's response. Uh, First, we listen to the authority of God's word. The primary way that God is going to respond to us is through his word. So it's predicated on this fact that we are reading this, we are in this each and every day. And then a second way that he'll respond to us, always in submission to his word, is sometimes through the internal witness of the Holy Spirit that we have a specific request and he answers that specific request with a very specific blessing for us. Okay, sometimes he does that, and that is always in submission to the word of God. But Habakkuk cries out and cries out, and then he listens, and he listens some more, and then he goes on to ask more and more. And God answers, I have heard your cry, Habakkuk, but it's time for judgment on the house of Judah. There's just been too much injustice, too much idolatry. The judgment is decreed. You see, Judah, I have wanted you for all these generations to be a light to the world, but instead you acted just like the world. And sometimes I wonder how God would say that to me. Adrian, I've wanted you to be a light to the world, but instead you've acted just like the world. Or you've thought like the world. God forbid that would be in the church, but I worry about that sometimes for the church in America, that we are made to be a light to the world, and sometimes we're just like the world. In the way we act, in the way we think, in the way we disagree, just like the world's polarizing anger. And he says, no, I want you to be a light to the world. Since you have refused to do that, since you've acted just like the world, the judgment has been decreed. So Habakkuk, he hears God's response and he modifies his prayer. Listen to the way he modifies his prayer. It's just so amazing. His obedience to to God in this moment. Chapter three, verse two says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your great deeds, O Lord. Repeat them in our day. As you've done them of old, would you repeat them in our day? In our time, make them known. And then I underlined in my Bible and I highlighted in my Bible, in wrath, God, would you please remember mercy? So it's like, I've heard of you, God. I've heard of your fame, but now I've encountered you. And this is the power of prayer, is it not? That in prayer, we're not just asking, we're not just crying out, we're also encountering the living God. And as we encounter the living God, we are changed. I heard of you, but now I've experienced you. Now I'm with you, now I'm changed by you. I had an encounter with the living God, and as I had this encounter with the living God, I realized that the judgment has been decreed and you're not going to change that judgment, and so I pray on the basis of your character in your wrath, remember mercy. Wow, that is a man of faith who recognizes judgment is coming, that there will be consequences to our actions. But God, in your wrath, in the consequences that are rightly mine because of what I've done wrong, please remember mercy. That takes faith, doesn't it? That is a man of faith. In suffering, God, remember mercy. Habakkuk 2 verse 4 is probably the most well-known verse in this book. It says, the righteous shall live by their faithfulness. Other versions say, the righteous shall live by faith. 
The Apostle Paul quotes this verse over in Romans. This is the response when we experience the divine consequence from our sinful behavior, or this is the response when we're just experiencing suffering for whatever reason. Sometimes suffering comes down on us and has nothing to do with anything that we have done. The rain pours on the righteous and the unrighteous alike, amen? Okay, it comes down on all of us, but the response that God is looking for when it comes down is, will you live by faith? Will you live in faithfulness as a righteous person even in the midst of this suffering? Faith is saying, I'm gonna still worship God even while the rain is pouring down on me. Faith is saying, I'm gonna keep on asking God even when he doesn't give me just what I want. Faith is agreeing with Jesus that the Father in heaven does not give us stones when we ask for bread. And so if we have a bunch of stones in our wagon right now, faith is trusting that God is somehow going to work those for good and he's not done with us. Faith is believing that as God rose Jesus from the dead, so also he's in the process of resurrecting us oftentimes through our suffering. Faith is believing Romans chapter five that says suffering produces perseverance. Mm. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope so like suffering stinks right come on let's all say it again suffering stinks but can can character come any other way I've experienced that it can't my character has been forged through suffering the way nothing else has forged me Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character produces hope. And in faith, we trust that, that God is gonna get us through whatever it is that we're in right now. Friends, you gotta have an active prayer life to get to the other side. You gotta have an active prayer life that is more than praying before meals or praying just before bed because it's a transition to the day. It's like this decision to keep on praying and not give up because I trust in God. And lament, the prayer and pain that leads to trust in God, is part of what helps get us there, preventing us from getting all bottled up. Uh, I'll just share with you a quick story from my own life. I was starting to get bottled up shortly after Susie and I got married. Uh, Before we got married, I had one or two um, friends, and then they moved away. And then I went through a season of time where I just didn't have any, any friends. And friendship has always been really important to me. I don't need a lot of friends, but I need, a, I need one or two. And um, I had Susie, and she was awesome. But like, guys need guys. <laughs> and I needed one or two other guys who would walk with me through the ups and downs of life, who would be serious about Christ with me, who would keep me accountable and vice versa, who I could march with them for what matters in this world. And what happened in that season was I had this spiritual mentor who really made a great impact in my life. He was a pastor, but then he fell into sexual sin and he was gone from my life. And then I had a friend named Mike and Mike and I were getting really close and he had a great mind and I was learning from him, spent a lot of time from him. And then he moved to Kentucky. And then I had a friend named Tim And Tim was one of those few guys that was like really serious about moving the kingdom of God forward in his neighborhood. Really serious about making a difference in Boulder County where we were living, saying we're going to 
go attack this place with love for the kingdom of God. And Tim and I, while we're getting close and exchanging ideas and, and doing things together, fought for the kingdom, and then he went and got married. And not only to get married, but then he moves to Texas. Texas. And it was like one after another. And I, I found myself complaining about this to Susie. And Susie wisely said, we need to just commit ourselves to praying about this every day. And she prayed with me almost every day for a year to find one good, strong Christian friend. And at the end of the year was silence. And so we prayed a second year. And at the end of the second year was silence. And we prayed a third year and the most beautiful and unexpected thing happened at the end of the third year, and it was this. I didn't yet have another close Christian friend or two. I had newfound intimacy with Jesus in a way that, frankly, I had never had before. And I started to experience the reality of John chapter 15, which I had never experienced before, that he is the vine and I am a branch, and he calls me his, his friend. And I'd never exchanged those days. And eventually, as we continued to pray, God did give me a couple friends, which I continue to have to this day. But friends, all of that was a prayer born out of pain. A prayer in pain that eventually lead, led to deeper trust in God. I love the way Mark Vrogop put it. Uh, he's a pastor in Indiana. He's written a couple books on lament, and he says, lament is not a cul-de-sac for your emotions. It's a conduit pushing you to resolution. And so if you're anything like me, we get tangled up in our emotions. We feel like we're just kind of going around the cul-de-sac <laughs> again and again and again, all bottled up. But lament, what it does, is it, it frees that up, and it starts to get us back in the direction toward God. It starts to free us, free us up and get us toward our destination that we would eventually get resolution and deeper trust in God. So again, we cry out to God just where we are with our very honest pleas. Then we ask God specifically to intercede according to his will. And then finally, though, the third part of this is just trusting. I believe in you, dear God, in spite of this. Whatever it might be for you, you would say, I believe in you, dear God, in spite of this though, that I'm going through. Habakkuk arrives at trust in God as he recounts the provision of God in the past. This is part of the way that he arrives at trust. In chapter 3, he recounts the way God overcame cosmic darkness. He recounts the way God interceded for Joshua and the Israelites as they enter into the promised land. He recounts the way God opened up the Red Sea for Moses and the Israelites as they're coming out of the exodus in Egypt. He goes through each of these, verse 15. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. He's remembering the exodus story there. I'm not sure if he had a prayer journal, the way, the way I know many of you in this room do. I've been so blessed in this church to see how many people keep a prayer journal of the ways God has intervened in the past and they go back to that prayer journal to remind them during the dark days of how God has brought light in the past, which helps lead them to trust for the future. Okay, that's a great tool. 
Maybe Habakkuk had one of those. I don't know. Maybe he just took out his scroll of the Old Testament and he got in the habit of marking it up the way we're marking up our Bibles. And during the dark days, he went to see the different places in his Bible that he marked up. Maybe he got together with Jeremiah. And as he got together with Jeremiah, they talked together about the ways God had intervened in the past and that built in them a sense of trust. I don't know what it was for him, but friends, I do know that you must have tools to remember the ways God has intervened for you in the past because we all suffer from this sickness called amnesia. You will forget the ways God has blessed you in the past, and if you do, you might get so consumed by the suffering of the moment that you think God doesn't even care about you, and that is dangerous. You gotta return to those tools when you feel like God is silent. If you don't, you will fall into one of these two different valleys, denial or despair. If you don't pray in this way, if we, if we don't learn to pray in this way, I'm, I've just experienced this, you may stop praying. You may even stop believing. Instead, the prophet cries out with raw honesty. He asks God to mercifully come to his aid according to God's will. And then he trusts. And he wraps up his prophecy in one of the most beautiful poems that we have in the entire Bible. It's so visceral, it's so profound. You look at verse 16, and I just want you to notice the transformation in Habakkuk from the beginning of this to the end of his three-chapter prophecy. And notice even specifically in these four verses how his physiological posture changes because he's grown in trust for God. Verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded. <laughs> my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. You ever felt that way and you're in the midst of great grief or intense anxiety? My legs are trembling, my lips are quivering. Yet he says, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation that is invading us. Yes, even Babylon is coming. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop falls, fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, even so, yet... Nevertheless, even though all of these things are reality, even so, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread upon the heights. Friends, this is the effect of biblical lament. A consistent prayer and pain that leads us to a deeper trust in God. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that you love us so much that you will receive us as we are.
I'm so grateful that we have a God that we don't need to pretend with. I'm so grateful, God, we cannot fool you. So thankful, Lord God, that we can remove the masks with one and we can grow in friendship with you. Father, I pray for my friends in this room here today as I know many of them are struggling with all different kinds of heartache. Some have uh, like really broken relationships right now. I know people in this church whose families are really struggling right now. I know others who have been praying for a wayward son or daughter for years and, uh, and that child remains wayward. I know others who have recently lost someone very dear to them, a mother or a father, a brother or sister, even a child. And when we're in that place, like all we can really do is cry out, God, where are you? Would you please come to our rescue? Would you please help? And so perhaps we would do that right now, just taking a moment of silence. I pray that you would have permission from what you see from Habakkuk. And right now, as we're quiet, if there's something that you need to lament, you can go ahead and do that. You can cry out to God right now. Father, over all these needs, we ask that you would intervene. We ask that you would come to our rescue. According to your will, by your sovereign power, with your love, we know you will not force the agency of another person, but we do ask, God, that you would draw near to those who are rebellious and you would bring them to you. We do ask, God, that you would help us in the midst of our pain. We pray, God, that you would overcome injustice and you would bring about righteousness. Would you please come to our rescue? According to your will, O oh God. And through it all, Lord, we want to trust you more and more. We surrender ourselves to you. We ask, God, that you would bring us out of bitterness and prevent us from getting bottled up and you would help us to trust that you love us, that we can indeed be friends of God and that you will strengthen us once again. I pray God for my friends in this room who are struggling today, you would give them the feet of a deer. You would mount them up on the high places that they would not tremble anymore, but they would have strength through the power of the living God who is in them and for them, no matter what may happen to them, no matter what other people might do, we have one who will never leave us or forsake us. And for that, we are forever grateful. We give you glory and we thank you, God. Would you grow our trust even today? Through Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.